Welcome to the Heroes Church Podcast. Our vision is to build Christ-centered communities of imperfect people for the city. Now, let's listen to Pastor Z as he shares the scripture message. Twenty twenty is over, and now we're we're almost past the halfway point of January. And I want to ask you guys, with the previous year done, what is your hope for this new year? Now, of course, when the new year hit, a lot of us were thinking the worst is over. It will all turn around. Twenty twenty one will be a better year. Twenty twenty one will be a stronger year. Twenty twenty one will be、uh, a brighter year. And what did you think? What do you believe in, and what is your hope for this year? Are there things that you're looking forward to? Are there things that you want to happen? Are there goals you've set? I want to ask you this because the message for this morning is actually dedicated to show us three things about grace that no matter what happens this year, we hope we can remember that grace. Is available for us. Now, this passage takes off from the previous Sunday, where there was a healing that happened, and that is why the first part I'd like to make is we have to learn about the offensiveness of grace. There was a healing that happened. A lame man just suddenly got up and started walking. People noticed. Peter and John explained. Now, what did you think would have been the natural response of the crowds when there's something wonderful and miraculous that happens? How should we take it? Now, Acts four shows us that the response was not as supportive, to say the least. Let's look at the opening verses in Acts four: the priests and the commander of the temple guard, and the Sadducees came up to them. And did they congratulate them for the healing? Did they pat them on the back for the healing? Did, did they say, "Good job"? You know, now go heal more. Did they do that? No, they didn't. The people you expected to be happy, who are the other religious leaders, came up, and rather than being supportive and congratulatory or just joyful because of the miracle that just happened, the opening verses said they were angry. They were angry, and why were they angry? Because they were teaching the people and announcing in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Brothers and sisters, how is this possible? You have the great miracle that happened with the lame man that just walked. You have Peter and John proclaiming the gospel. Yet you have the people who are leaders in the temple courts getting angry because of this dynamic. What can we learn here? What do we find here? Well, this shows us that there is an offensiveness. People could get offended not only by seeing the miracles of grace, but by hearing the words of grace, and that is something. That is very important to remember. This coming year, when 9/11 happened in New York, the Twin Towers were attacked. It was a very hard moment for New Yorkers and America and the world. And the immediate effect of that was just a dark cloud hovering over the city. 
And yet, it was documented that a lot of people came to church immediately following that time. In a very secular city like New York, there was a great disaster, a great terror that spread. And part of the natural response is to seek out meaning and purpose. And so churches suddenly started getting full. But sometime after that, the cloud became lighter. Eventually, you know, the churches also dwindled in number. There were some who kept the number, but it wasn't anymore like that immediate effect. Now, 2020 was also a tough year, not only for New York, but for all of us. And we saw the rise of the availability of online church and the spread of what could potentially be easier ways or platforms where the gospel is spread. Now, it's highly likely that more people tuned in to try and hear what churches are offering as a meaning, as an explanation to all this. But remember, sometimes that influx is temporary. It takes a process. It takes an understanding of what is happening for us to really get to stay. And here, I'd like to share with you that if ever we've stumbled across the gospel this previous year, brought about by the tremendous need of the dire circumstances we found ourselves in, you and I have to recognize that the gospel is not only meant to cover you, to provide explanation, to comfort you. The gospel also offends. And sometimes it offends those of us who are anticipated to have the closest or better understanding of what it's supposed to be. Look at verse 5 to 6. On the next day, the rulers, elders, and experts in the law came together in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others who were members of the high priest's family. The big names have all gathered because of this raucous, because of this miracle. And they weren't out there to pledge their support for Peter and John, pledge their support to Christ. They were there to try Peter and John. And what was the problem? The problem was verbalized in verse 7. After making Peter and John stand in their midst, they began to inquire By what power or by what name did you do this? By what power and by what name did you do this? Whenever there's something remarkable that happens, whenever there is something great that happens, people will naturally flock and crowd to it. But it's not necessarily an acknowledgement of the purity and goodness of that occurrence. But many times it is a wonder on what power or what name caused it to happen. Is it something I can copy? Is it something that I can procure? Is it something that I can amass? Is it something that I can hold? And that's why every generation likes to look at the next boom, the next bull market, the next trend, the next successful play. And we try to invest on it. I can only imagine the plight of people in the medical field, particularly the nurses, when COVID hit last year. And you know what came to my mind? 
how many families, how many Filipino families, how many Filipinos put their effort to become a nurse? How many nurses have migrated all over the world? How many nurses have we gifted the world because of the hope of greener pasture? There was even a time when already established professionals, even doctors, would take up nursing just because it promised greater opportunities. Now, during that time, how many people do you think took that course knowing that one day in 2020, the world will call on them to be frontliners and heroes because of a global pandemic? Do you think that if we were all informed that this, this would happen, that this would be a sure thing, that the decisions would be much easier to look go after that career. I've seen the pressure families have put on their college students to take up nursing just to dream of a better world, better pay, better life. And then COVID hits and you're like, this is not what I signed up for. Yet even if it's something we signed up for, why are we not getting as much support from the government? Why are we not getting much support from the hospital? Why are people so demanding of us they don't always consider us. That's why frontliners are considered heroes because they stepped in at a time of great need to provide a service that no one else can do. Their training, their ability, and their heart for service definitely showed. And that's why we celebrate nurses. That's why if you're a nurse or you're someone in the medical field right now, we celebrate you because to step in at such a great time, that's not something you expected but it's something that was brought about by a circumstance that was greater than us. Now that, aside from giving you your due and this coming year, we still need you, definitely need you. What I'm trying to highlight here is that many times when people jump into a situation or people jump into a, a great thing, our motivations are not always in the right place. Peter and John healed a sick man healed a lame man that's been needing you know freedom and relief from this injury and yet rather than supporting them rather than encouraging them rather than giving them more platform to do these healings they're being questioned now the gospel if you're a christian something good but you and i have to realize that it doesn't always sound good to other people we have to be aware that there is an offensiveness to the gospel truth. And that's why don't expect that you will always be accepted. Don't expect that you will not be rejected. Don't expect that people will just understand it and take it as rational fact. Because the people who were questioning Peter and John themselves, they were not the mere masses. They were not the uneducated. They were the religious experts, thought leaders of the day. And they were trying to find out, how did you make this happen? They were shocked. They were surprised. And you know, when the gospel takes effect in your life, when the gospel is the anchor to your life, when the gospel is the sure thing that you hold on to no matter what life brings you, People wouldn't understand what that is unless they understand the gospel. And because of that, it will be offensive. Because it's not going to be a trend. It's not going to be like any other self-help mechanism. It's not something that 
you know, mere science will teach you. It's not something mere art will expose. It's not something that, you know, mere experience will reveal. The gospel is something so unique and so true that it's bound to offend even the greatest sensibilities. How aware of, are you of the offensiveness of the gospel? Have you yourself been offended by the gospel? Or have you shared the gospel and you have been turned away and has been offensive to others? Take heart because those who have gone before us have experienced the same thing. And that's why it's very important that we ourselves are aware of our own motivations, our own tendencies to jump into conclusions, really trying to figure out what's the pattern in the world. And I hope that if something surprises us, like 2020, it's something we can learn to really delve more into the uniqueness of what the gospel is. And it's not something that we can just pick up like any other thing. It's something unique, wealthy, and wonderful. And to explain that, this is my next point. There is a clarity of grace that exists. In verses 11 to 12, Peter explains the beauty and the clarity of what the gospel is and the power that allowed for him to heal the lame man. He says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, and that has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For is, there is no other name under heaven which among people by which we must be saved. Peter explains clearly that the gospel is about Jesus. We talked about this in last week's sermon. But the point here is sometimes who Jesus is and what he has done is something that goes against other cornerstones that we have built or chosen for ourselves. And sometimes that is the reason why Jesus is not the cornerstone of your life. Not because he is any less true, not because he is any less good, not because he is any less convincing. Jesus Christ is not the cornerstone of your life because there is another stone that you build your life upon. So sometimes we can try explaining the gospel as best we can. Sometimes we can try even revealing the gospel as best we can. But unless we're aware that there are other cornerstones that we have put our lives upon and it's not being replaced by the ultimate chief cornerstone, which is Christ, then that's going to be a hard block in our lives. And that's why the salvation narrative, that's why the clarity of grace is not only as simple as there is no name under heaven which we will be saved but by Jesus Christ, but it is something that has to take root in our hearts. I'm telling you now, a lot of people mock the gospel. A lot of people mock Christianity because the way it has been presented. I've heard some people mock me and say, you know, Pastor, I've been taught Christianity is so easy. You just say blah, blah, blah in Jesus' name and you're going to heaven. I get hurt when I hear these things. Because it is part of the spiel. It is part of what we teach. It is part of the truth that we are saved in Jesus' name. But it's not as simple as just saying it from your lips and automatically gives you access to a magical world. We don't worship a key or a password. We worship a person. 
we are saved by a person. We are saved by God Himself who became human. And that's why when we say there is no other hope, there is no other salvation, only Jesus saves, we really have to understand what that means. We have to be clear about what that means. We have to really be aware that the reason it is only Jesus who saves is because He's the only anchor, worthy, unblemished, perfect, who volunteered for this out of tremendous love by coming to this world, paying the ultimate penalty for our sins, resurrecting, and now assures us of a life after this world. That no COVID, no political changes, no stock market crash, no financial crisis, no conflict can ever take away. That is the hope we have in Christ. That is why He is the chief cornerstone. And that is why He is also many times rejected. Because if now if you put two and two together, the offensiveness of the gospel is brought about by its clarity. How many other cornerstones are willing to just surrender to the feet of Christ? Naturally, people will fight. Sometimes people will fight to the death to preserve what they think is their own cornerstone. It could be what tradition has taught them. It could even be what religion has taught them. It could be even what experience has taught them as what's real in life. That's why a lot of us, if we're truly honest, we don't give Christianity a chance because we have our own worldview of how the world works. And sadly, many times, it's based on what has been our successful experience. That's why there's wisdom into recognizing that it's hard for rich people, wealthy people, to enter the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean they're rejected from it, but it's just hard. It's just hard because what has made you successful in life could be an antithesis to what makes you experience the gospel. The humility necessary, the admittance of brokenness and sinfulness necessary to really appreciate what Jesus Christ has done sometimes is covered, padded on by the successes that we have that it removes us from recognizing the truth. But yet the gospel is very clear. And by God's grace, every Sunday, we we'll try to serve that to you and make you more aware of it. Now the last, the victory of grace. This is probably one of my most favorite verses in the story of the disciples. Acts 4, 13-14 When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and discovered that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized these men had been with Jesus. And because they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say against this. Peter and John were tried. And you know, a lot of times as Christians, when we think well, we're, we're, we're sharing the gospel, we're, we're, we're spreading the word, you know, we, we try to say, you know, protect your testimony. And that's very important. It's very important to recognize the struggle of living a sanctified life, yet trust in the Holy Spirit's power to sanctify you and move towards steps that help build you on towards Christ-likeness. But what is excessive sometimes is thinking that the pressure to be holy is a requirement to actually be effective in ministry. But may this liberate you from that. 
Peter and John, they were tried. And we're not saying they're bad people. We're not saying they don't know what they're saying. We're not saying they're not holy. But what was highlighted here, and I hope this is something that will be meaningful for you this year. What was highlighted here is that the reason they were let go and the reason that they were people were amazed of Peter and John was not how eloquent Peter was, was not how good-looking and holy-looking John was. It's not about how great they were in terms of success in the world. People that weren't listening to them because of these things that we often attribute to successful Christian ministers today. Peter and John were listened to because the boldness that people saw were connected with the reality that though they were uneducated and ordinary, they were with Jesus. Wow. When all else was said and done, after the trial, after being questioned, what was proven to hold water was that Peter and John had been with Jesus. When people listen to you, when people get to know you, when people see how your life has been this 2020 and how have you survived or persevered through it, what will they find is your secret? Is it something inherent to you? Is it something that you want to be proud of? Is something you think is about you? I submit that you and I have the greatest report when we stop focusing on ourselves and our capacity to be strong and just recognize the value of being with Jesus. We are with Jesus. God is with us. And we have persevered through the most troubled year ever and have gone into 2021 because we are with Jesus. Let that be our testimony. Let that be our anchor. Let that be what people get to know about us because that in itself is what amazes others who need to see the gospel. As I end, I want to share how then can we apply? What then is the bold response to this offensive, clear, and victorious grace? Well, it's very simple and straightforward. There was a healed man. They were Peter and John were tried. They were let go with one condition. They called them in and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Whether it is right before God to obey you rather than God, you decide. For it is impossible for us not to speak about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further, they released them, for they could not find how to punish them on account of the people, because they were all praising God for what had happened. Brothers and sisters, members of our church or guests of our church, I want to make sure that our expectations of this year is in the right focus. This is a new year for us, and we can be expectant and have hope that it will be to be something very different from last year. But just like Roy sang for us, even if it's not, even if it doesn't become any easier, even if something worse happens, our hope 
is in Christ. His presence and His being with us is enough to grant you and I hope and stability this 2021. And I implore you that with Christ as our anchor, let's not be afraid to exercise the faith and share the gospel that has been true in our lives. People may not understand. People may even tell you stop. But just like what Peter and John testified about, they cannot listen to man, but they can trust if it's God's will to spread the word, that they cannot not share it. What is God's will for you today? What is God's will for you and your family this year? Why don't we exercise it? Why don't we discover it? And whatever happens, let's trust God and hope that we can accomplish it by His grace. Let us pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story that shows us that even with good intention, even with good things, Christians get into trouble. Peter and John healed a layman, yet they were tried and they were arrested. And they went through a process that was so uncomfortable, yet they come, came through like gold from the furnace. Lord, we ask that these hard times will also reveal in us the purity of the gospel, its offensiveness, its clarity, and its victory. And we pray, the Lord, for the opportunity to boldly respond to the grace you've given us by sharing you to the world. Lord, may this year be a fruitful year for us in terms of the harvest, of sharing the gospel. And may, it, may people begin to see the value, the joy, the victory of what it means when we are with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.